Welcome to The Travelling Senorita, episode number 33. We are powering through these and we are not stopping. We are going to do them each week regardless of the ISO, isolation. I'm not, gonna use, I'm not going to use the magic word other than to say pre-C, I was uh, loving my podcasts and middle C and post-C, I will continue to do these podcasts because it's all about storytelling around the globe and it's about people to place. And today I'm really excited because I'm heading into Italy. I'm heading into Tuscany, into the hills of Florence, one of my favourite places in the world. And I was trying to do a podcast with this gorgeous young lady when I was there in December, but we just couldn't get our shit together. So now we're doing it over computers because technology is so advanced these days, isn't it, Emiko? Please welcome Emiko Davies. Hi, Emiko. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, we made it. Can you believe it? We've tried. We finally made it. (laughs) Um, I have just loved your journey on um, Instagram because you've been, I mean, a lot of people say that you guys are the future right now for places like Australia. We'll talk about that towards the end. Um, but your your journey is so positive and it's just inspiring and um, I really want to I want to delve into that for people in Australia mainly at the moment with little ones and how we can sort of cook and be abundant and inspired by what you're doing but before we do that I would really like to know about you as a little girl and where you grew up and how you became who you are today so please let us know little Emiko first <laughs> so I grew up in Canberra and um, um, spent most of my childhood uh, in sort of suburban Canberra, <laughs> um, but then um, my family moved to China for um, for a couple of years when I was about the age of my eldest daughter now, Mariu, who's seven. I was five when we left and seven when we came back. And then um, when I was 11, we moved again to China, this time to Beijing, and um, and I finished high school in Beijing. So. Even though I had um, sort of my my young childhood in Canberra, um, all of my adolescence I spent in in Beijing, which is quite different, and um, I, and I loved it. Absolutely loved living in Beijing. And then after I finished high school, um, I went to the States for university. So I never really m- moved back to Australia until after. Well, after university. You do have quite an Australian accent. Can I say that or are you just putting that on for me? No, no, no. I was totally determined to keep my <laughs> accent because, um, you know, a lot of people who... who oh, Luna, that's Luna. Oh, we love um, Luna. Uh, We've got to bring <laughs> Luna in later. <laughs> um, so a lot of people who... I think a lot of kids who, who go to international schools, um, you know, overseas and... Um, and grow up, you know, amongst an international community, kind of adopt an American accent. That's right. Definitely my little sister and my little brother both took on full American accents. Um, For some reason, I... I think maybe because I was older, I don't know, I kept kept my accent. I thought, this is my... I'm not going to start, you know, changing the way I speak. And then when I went to university yeah, in um, when I when I went to um, when I went to university in the states, um, everybody found it like really strange. Not strange, funny, funny. No, interesting that I was Australian because I think I was the only Australian in my entire university, um, and it was like a novelty, you know. Oh, I love your accent. You know, sort of they thing. do. So they I love. I was really determined. They love our accent over there, don't they? They really, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm always like super surprised when I hit the US. They're like, oh my God, talk, talk. And I'm like, really? That's um, not what they say at home. People are like, like, just talk. (laughs) Yeah, well, good on you. Maybe it was sheer determination for you to keep that Aussie accent. Have you got um, Chinese heritage or Japanese or what's what's your heritage? Uh, Yeah, so my mother's Japanese. And my dad is um, is Australian, Australian Sydney born, um, you know, great great grandparents from Wales and England. I've done all the family histories. So. Yeah, right, <laughs> um, great. And um, but he's but he has um, since he was at university has always had um, a, a real fascination and love of China. So um, so his whole career, he's an economist and, and worked with the UN. His whole career was based in China and as a China specialist. Um, so we spent 
about eight years um, total living in living in China, and my parents are now back in Canberra, and um, wow, that's sort of my home base whenever I'm I'm home. Is Canberra? Um, it's, it's at their place, so we're always going back to Canberra. It's um, I wish Lewis had just come back up. Then um, our oldest son is um, studying economics, uh, third year at University of Queensland, and we had this profound conversation the other day. You know, global economy as it's as it stands right now. And I was saying, God, you're going to fast track this career. You know, this is going to be really interesting when you have to rebuild <laughs> the economy. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I think it's yeah. um, it would be great. I'm, I'm definitely going to tell him that your dad, because we're talking about sort of jobs that you can do in economics, but he's a traveller like his mum. So things like yeah. working with the UN in, in economics would be perfect for him. Yeah. Well, so my dad is, is has long been retired now, but... Um, um, we joke that he's got a newsletter because he basically spends all day on his computer reading, yeah, reading he articles yeah. and then emailing them out to all of his friends and family. So we've, we've got Dad's newsletter is, um, you know, all these interesting he articles. Would, he'd probably be keeping himself quite um, occupied right now, wouldn't he? Because he'd be abreast of yeah. exactly what's going on, which yeah. is uh, something we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, so, so how does a, a young lady that studies in the US, what did you study in the US? I studied fine art. Oh, you're the creative. Yeah, She's the creative. I love I made that. It in... <laughs> that was your daughter saying that you were the best. You are the best artist ever. Is that what I just heard? Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> oh, I love that. I've had such a different day to that. But that is just, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Um, so daughters, got to love a daughter. Uh, so tell me a little bit about um, when you left the US. Where did you go after that? Where, how long did you stay in the US? Um, so I was there for four years. But it, um, during my third year, um, when I was there, I decided to enroll in a, in a study abroad program even though I was kind of already abroad for me. Um, but I thought yeah. it would be a good opportunity to go to Europe because um, I hadn't really spent very much time in Europe. I'd spent, you know, years and years in Asia. And obviously also because my mum's Japanese, we, we travelled to Japan all the time to visit my, my grandparents there. And so I'd done a lot of travel there and, um, you know, living in the US. But I hadn't really spent a lot of time in Europe, so I thought, this was a good opportunity to, to spend th three months um, somewhere in Europe. And I had really wanted to go to London, actually, and then that didn't work out. And one of my teachers suggested I go to Florence. And it was a bit, um, it was almost like on a whim. I was like, okay, like I hadn't really thought about it very much. And, and she just said, you know, the food will be better and the weather will be better than if you go to London. Gorgeous. Um, you should try this, you should try this, this, printmaking school in Florence and wow. so I did. How um, romantic. <laughs> and it, was it was amazing. I, I absolutely um, fell in love with every minute of my time in Florence. And when So I how long home, ago are we I, talking? Was, how long ago is that? Like 10 years ago? How long? <laughs> no, way, no, way, way longer. This was, this was 2001. 2001? So there was still the Lyra. Yeah, nineteen years. I, do you know what's really interesting? I was, I was uh, wandering around Florence in '95, so I missed you by like a little smidgen. But I just fell madly in love with Florence. I was a backpacker with no coin, but I just, um, I made it work. There's something about Florence that's super magic, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely was like like magic. Especially, I mean, for me, I was coming from. Um, you know, a fine art school and studying art history where uh, the Renaissance was, was like my favourite time period for, for art history. Mm -hmm. And then you walk into Florence and it's like everything's just come alive. Yeah, incredible. And your, oh, you know, wow. Things you've been studying. It was, it, I was blown away. And, and I do think Florence was really different then as well. Like when, mm. when you know, it was still, there was still the lira back then. Yeah, I loved it. And um, yeah. everything was so cheap. You know, mm. compared to, you know, you could get coffee for essentially for 50 cents. That's right. And, um, um, you know, for a student who's, you know, on a student budget, it was it was really great. It was really oh, exciting. So we could go easily go, go traveling, just hop on the train. Anywhere. You yeah. Know, and in an hour, 20 quid. completely different. 19p 19p pints in Prague <laughs> remember <laughs> but uh, it's really we had a I feel like I don't know we were introduced by your cousin 
um, digitally in Australia. I was working with um, yeah. a chef cousin of yours. Shout out to Steve, um, who's you know yes. going through really tough times in hospitality right now. But they they they'll be back. They've just had to close their doors for a while. Um, but he uh, introduced me. Said you've you've got to meet her. And I, I'm pretty sure he said to me, "You remind me of her," which is. Please take it as a compliment. I'm, I'm like zany and amazing. No, I'm joking. No, but we, I think we've lived sort of similar kind of parallels in the sense of um, finding Europe, finding Florence, and falling madly in love with Florence. Um, I was living in Hozigor in in uh, Beiritz in uh, southwest France, and I was lucky enough to travel around Italy and Spain extensively because they were the two countries that called me the most. So I spent a lot of time in Italy yeah. and Spain in the 90s. And I'd also like to, I'd studied, I'd studied in Melbourne, archaeology and anthropology, go figure. I, I didn't get into PR because I was too naughty and I didn't get the right mark. But I did, oh, see, Luna thought that was funny. Um, so I uh, ended up doing archaeology and anthropology and then I was like, oh, bugger this, I'm just going to go to Europe, exactly like you were thinking in the sense of I'm going to find these elusive yeah. digs. And I ended up in, um, in Turkey and places like that. But when I found... Florence and Italy in the Renaissance I just couldn't believe my eyes because it had been I was doing art history as well it's, it's textbook you know like looking at these textbooks in yeah. Australia and then actually landing there and I thought my heart has always felt like it belongs in Europe and that's why I was there twice in the last year I'll be grounded for a while in Australia but it must feel amazing actually having your roots there now does it? Yeah, I still sort of, um, I still sort of pinch myself. Sometimes I feel like I'm still, I'm only here for a short time because that, that's the thing is when I, um, I came back to Florence um, this time. I came back in 2005, and and it was meant to be for a year. <laughs> I had, I had a, a year's working holiday visa, and and I thought I just need to get this out of my system. I was obsessed with Florence. I couldn't stop thinking about it and, yeah, and yeah. wanting to come back and, yep. and move back. It had really just gotten under my skin. I just I hadn't had enough time there. I kept thinking, I haven't seen everything. Mm -hmm. I haven't um, finished my time there. I'll come back for another year. And um, I came back to study. I studied art restoration and had this working holiday visa. Wow. And at, at the very end of that year, I, I met Marco. Oh, and thank like, God for okay. Marco. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I kind of meant. I'm gonna come back again. I love <laughs> just that. For another three months. I yeah, love that. Oh, so Marco's there with you at the moment, and Marco's a sommelier. Um, and I wonder yeah. what he was thinking of it, of a, a, a dashing young Emiko at the time that was studying art restoration. How does that all work? Um, well, he was he he was working at a bar, and um, of course. I was meeting a, a friend at the bar and we were sitting at the bar and there was this cute, you know, barman. Love it, love it. Um, and, um, but he was very, very shy. He's very shy, which is really unusual for, you know, uh, an Italian because most, most of the, most of the Italian guys were extremely upfront. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and, and he was really shy, and I thought there's something different about him. I quite like him. Yeah, um, right. Classic. He was shy. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, did you stay a lot longer after that? How did that? What What went on? Well, at then at that time, I had to. I only had a tourist visa, so I could only stay 90, 90 days. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, oh, let's just see where this goes in ninety days. And um, and then I thought, okay, I, I need to stay a little bit longer. Uh, so I enrolled in another in a photography course. Um, wow, that makes sense. When I, that makes months. sense that you've done photography. I can see all, I can see how this. This is why I like to take people back <laughs> to go forward because I I feel like when I do these podcasts, they seem to paint a picture for the person that's actually speaking. You know, like to me, listening to you, and then you've got you've got your restoration art, your art, fine art, now photography. This all makes sense for where you actually end up, don't you think? Yeah, the, so, sorry, they cut out a little bit just at the end there. You said about the restoration and the art. Oh, yeah, no, when I do these podcasts and people go back, because we don't often go back, we're often going forward, and when you paint the picture oh, of what you've done, like now you've said photography, that makes another, that makes more sense to what you are doing now, which I haven't introed yet because I've deliberately not so that I'm painting your picture, excuse the pun. Ah. So so you you stay uh, in Florence or do you go after those? What happens after 90 days? Oh, you enrol in the course, and then so you're there for how much longer? 
you don't leave. So I, I, bought, I basically bought myself another six months time <laughs> with the with the visa. And this, I have I have people writing to me who go who, who say, you know, how did you how did you stay initially at the top of the story? Yeah. Because, um, because essentially, what you have to do is you need a student visa or you need a work visa to stay longer. Yeah. And um, um, or marry or marry a dashing sommelier. No. Well, and then, yes, and then eventually, after two years, we, we got married. But I, I did, in the meantime, enrol in a three-year art restoration course. So Fantastic. That, that's, um, that's what led me, so that's what allowed me to stay in Florence for a while. And um, and in the meantime, Mark and I got married in Palazzo Vecchio. Oh, and beautiful. I keep worrying about all those reasons, but... Um, but that's how I. That's sort of how I bought time in a way, um, and that kept kept my, uh, prolonging my stay. And and it's funny because even now I keep thinking, you know, I have to get another visa. Should I stay another year? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about that anymore, though, do you? Surely, surely you don't have to worry about that anymore, Emiko. Surely that surely you're settled in Florence. No, I I am, but there's some part of me that I think um, wonders whether um, you know, am I uh, w- whether I am permanent here or not. I, I feel I think that's cute. I feel I am, but I because I I grew up because I grew up moving around my whole life. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever. I haven't ever lived in one place as long as I've lived in Florence. I love that. That's really, I, I know ex- I know exactly what you mean. And that's when you bring in children and where, where we live now, I'm from Melbourne, but I live in northern New South Wales now and I've been here nearly 18 years and it blows my mind because I've always lived in different places around the world and I'm like, how, yeah. how did I, and around Australia, I was like, how did I end up in one place for 18 years? But I think that's, you know, you settle, you have children and you, and you develop careers, which brings me to my next question. How do you, um, so you've done fine art, art restoration, you meet the man of your dreams, sommelier Marco behind the bar and off you go in your merry little way. And then, then this food, food really takes over your life. I mean, it was obviously always there, but the Italian way of, the Italian meaning of food really starts to get into your, your, your being. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. I, as you just said, it's it was always there um, because, but maybe it was always there. It was sort of an obvious thing. I always, always have loved food. Always have loved cooking ever since I can remember. I, I was like Mario cooking in the kitchen. Gorgeous. I loved it. Yeah. And um, um, I always loved eating. I was never like one of these fussy eaters. Just give me all the food. I want to try it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and having having grown up traveling a lot, we were you know always traveling around Southeast Asia as a, when I was a child and a teenager and and um, and even in in China, I I knew you know from a really young age when you go when you travel, you know there's you find all this different food and you can try the food of that place and you'll only try it there. I I grew up um, sort of really loving that aspect of of you know enjoying eating as well the fact that you can you can discover a new culture just by yeah. eating yeah exactly you know, the, the food of that place yeah and um so that was sort of always 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 there um where everything changed from like art and photography to food when that sort of took over was um basically after i had finished studying this um i received a diploma in in uh, art restoration and I had started working in a museum in Florence um, doing art restoration but the pay was so um, unfairly yeah. <laughs> uh, little <laughs> that I couldn't afford to to keep the job but because I, I had just you know graduated I wanted to stay in this job we had to move to my mother-in-law's house so that we weren't paying rent anymore so that just like keep this job and at the end of the year I stuck it out for a year I went to the director and I said listen I this I'm actually these are at my actual responsibilities here and you know I really need a raise because I'm being paid like as a slave <laughs> and he An said a, a to me, slave to art art slave yeah <laughs> yeah he yeah. said um you know, doesn't your husband work? Oh, dearie me. Yeah. 
Well, it's like he thought it was some sort of a hobby or something, and I was just, you know, well, uh, uh, so I left, and it was really hard to get another <laughs> another job in in art restoration. Apparently, they're really poorly paid, and and um, the the good jobs that there are, you know, there are actually very few. That's quite astounding to hear, isn't it? When you think about the art that is restored in Italy, that's quite yeah. astounding. Yeah. It is, it is amazing. I did an internship once at the National Library in Florence and I spent an entire summer, which is, you know, three months of, um, you know, working all day, every day on, on restoring one of the books that was um, uh, destroyed during, no. <laughs> destroyed during the flood in 1966 here. And when you think that they have like a room the size of a football field, floor to ceiling, you know, full of these books, um, and only two—that's Luna again—only two full-time staff um, to restore them, and you sort of realise there there is just so much work in Florence that needs attention, but not enough funds for it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And apparently, yeah. Anyway, so is that change? So is that did that change throughout the years, or not so much? I don't. I know. I don't think so. And I, you know, I sort of feel as, as things go on, you know, there's going to be more and more things oh, to restore. I know. <laughs> but, Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so but, where um, does where does food fit into this picture? Is food food, food so is food art? Food becomes art. Is, is that after after I quit that I quit that job and then I couldn't get back into art restoration and I took on a job as a receptionist in a tour agency and it was so not me and so completely boring and soul destroying that I decided to um, um, start writing a food blog just to just to make my days a little bit brighter. How long ago is this? How long ago? How long ago is that? Do you think? Well, you know. That was um, so I started. Uh, my blog in 2010. Yeah, right. Um, December 2010. But I had I had had the idea in my head for about a year before I actually published my first blog post. Yeah, right. And as um, we all do. Yeah. As we all. I had mine in my head for ten yeah. years. So well done. <laughs> yeah, it takes a long time to actually hit publish. <laughs> well, there's journal. There's a lot of journals along the way. But yeah, the publish button's always yeah. um tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it started that way, just with something I needed an outlet, some kind of uh, an outlet that gave me something to look forward to um, during the day and something I could think about during the weekends. And because uh, Marco and I usually spent most of our free time um, cooking or eating or traveling somewhere where we could drink wine and cook and eat. <laughs> and, mm, sounds um, that delightful. Was, that was, was just kind of a no-brainer. Like, what is the thing that makes me happy the most? It's, it's <laughs> cooking and eating and, and sharing um, what where we go, what we do, talking about this cheese farm or this winery or this dish that we ate on the weekend. What a perfect combo because um, you've got Marco there with his sommelier skills. So you can kind of yeah. just mash it all together. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It was really, um, it, yeah, it was just sort of a, a thing born out of this is what we love this is what we love doing and um and it made your heart sing uh, so i'm i'm going to bring in uh, i'm going to bring in uh, my podcast here because uh, i've got a radio background per se but little arts show that got 10 minutes a week and got the funding cut blah 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 um and then i went into pr extensively extensively to pay the bills really um and did media relations for for you know foodies and restaurants and what have you which is how i know steve chef steve um but oh, then right. and then i write i write I write um, for a couple of travel, I travel, well, I'm grounded, but travel write for a few magazines. But the thing that makes my heart sing the most is audio. Even though I love writing, the natural thing for me um, is to use audio as the medium that I love. So podcasting isn't about any monetary. People say to me, oh, why don't you get advertised, whatever. It's not about that for me at all. It's actually about um, when I get off from this this podcast with you, every single time my heart sings and I've done 33 now. And I just feel That's alive amazing. and it's nothing to do with monetary gain. It's it's separate mm-hmm. from my work um, and I just, yeah. yeah. So I fully understand what you're it's saying about the blog. It's yeah. a passion project. It's a passion project but I think about it often and like you when you go out on the weekends, I'm like, oh, yeah, and I'm often, 
you know, oh, I could, you know, I could interview them, I could do that. And I just, yeah, it's same, exactly what you said resonates with, with, um, with my podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel exactly the same about my blog. And even though it is now, um, it'll be 10 years old this year, well um, I've never put ads on my blog ever. I've yeah. never made any money from it ever. Yeah, right. Um, and, but, and I still write it. I still publish a post. I try and publish a post once a week. Hey, look, I've got, um, I've got background noise too. That's Frankie Olive, the dog. <laughs> um, can I just say though, like, do you do that every week? You still publish that blog every week? Well, there were a few, let's say, uh, um, I've had a couple of years. The last couple of years I've been really busy, um, So, but I've tried to, to at least post once a month. <laughs> so if I don't get to do it once a week, my goal is once a month. Love and, it. Um, Love it. and now, well, now I've got a lot more time to write, so now I'm back to once a week. When you, when you say um, you got really busy, it's because you've got these two beautiful girls, <clears throat> which I will let speak at the end because they've been so good. I think we bring, <laughs> we bring them in. Also, is that because you were doing cookbooks? What was going on in your busy... Yeah. Hey, by so, the way, Emiko, um, Emiko, we're not using the word... Well, this is only my opinion. You, don't, you, you can throw this in the bin. I stopped using the word busy a year ago, and I'll tell you why. Because, and maybe the word in Italian is so much nicer, and I'm sure it is. It's a bit like bogan is cafoni. Cafoni is so much nicer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anywho, you're going to teach me what busy is in Italian, and I'm sure it's got a lovely saying to it. But I use the word productive now, and so when I'm productive, it means I'm kind of cruising. When I'm intensely productive, yeah. I'm like out of control. But the the word busy is is such um, people are just so over it, and their reaction to you saying it is, in my opinion, is quite it's quite frazzled. Do you know what I mean? So there's my it's gift. So there's my gift to you today. Um, only because we all Thank use we, we all use the word busy, and I stopped it a year ago and was really mindful about not using it. And the amount of times I heard it in a day was 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 quite remarkable so um that's just a little side gift there <laughs> but keep I going with it. your productive you're intensely i'm gonna take that on oh you're welcome <laughs> um uh, in your intensely productive years uh what was going on for yeah. you then so um in 2016 my first cookbook um came out and that was about 18 months in the making and um, and Mariu was only 18 months old when I started it, so that was quite amazing. And um, and I was we at the same time. So before that book came out, I got to backtrack a bit. Yeah, we moved to um, we moved to Melbourne. I oh, to you came back to, to right. come to Melbourne. Okay, yes. And that was that was because I was in a bit of a I was in a bit of we were all in a bit of a funk because it you know there was an economic crisis. I couldn't get back into art restoration and I was working in, as a receptionist in this tour agency, which was, you know, just, um, I had to get out of. Not your vibe. <laughs> and, and Marco as well, he'd just gotten his sommelier degree and... Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so Melbourne's the perfect know, place. Yes. Yeah, we needed to move on and everything was very, very stagnant in Florence in 2010 2011 shops were closing restaurants were closing nothing was moving it was just really in a rut you know so marco actually got um got offered a job to open a wine bar in melbourne which one? Oh, this is so yeah, thick. i don't know this part of your story this is super cool which which wine bar are we talking about <laughs> I'm from Melbourne. Look so out! It actually never happened. Oh, but shoot! It got us to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Love so this. It was. Um, it, I think it was called Bad Nonno. It was. Um, it, they opened actually, ironically, the day we left Melbourne. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. That's a funny story. But to, sorry. That's a funny story. I like it. Well, it is. Yeah. Um, but it did. What it did make us do was it, it got us. It got us to Melbourne, and um, we lived in Northcote, and we were sort of waiting for this wine bar to be ready to be opened it was um an australian this would be this would be that's all it good this remember you're in italy and you can be as loud as you want remember that right yes um so can i just ask so, a question here so northcote you're in yeah. northcote in 2011 did you say it was the end of 2011 oh yeah. my god you're in northcote yeah. before northcote became funky my family yeah. lives in um northcote um so oh. yeah yeah and and well i'm from the morning peninsula but my brother and sister-in-law and my, and my niece and nephew they're all in northcote so it's kind of like my family home when i go to melbourne and they were oh, in no. thornbury around about that time and they've been in actually they've been in northcote for about 10 years i think and super like gone off as you know um and yeah 
just I'm going to stab in the dark here because this would be so good for a live podcast. Well, live re- pre-recorded podcast. You wouldn't happen to know my brother by any chance. His name and maybe is Marco listening? He's in the other room. Hold okay. on a second, Marco, come in. <laughs> I'm just. This is a stab in the dark, right? But I have a brother who's in the hospo industry. He's also a musician. And his name is Craig Mitchell. And the reason why I'm asking you is because he worked for, he's the general manager for Dudson. You know beautiful Dudson, the crockery? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so really good stuff for hospitality. I just wondered if you'd ever come across his path. Do you reckon you would have? Craig Mitchell, Marco? No. Really bad names. Doesn't matter, mate. Really I, you were living in Northcote. <laughs> you just asked him. No, that's a difficult questionable. <laughs> well, maybe Emiko, bring her back in. So they lived off Separation Street, and he was always in all the the best oh restaurants God. and bars. And yeah, so how long did you spend in um, Northcote? So let's see. We moved. Um, we spent a year. No, longer. Two years. Two years in, in Northcote. Northcote. Two years in did Melbourne. Marco, did you, um, Marco, did you enjoy Northcote? Did you enjoy living there? Well, yeah, yeah, it was, it was no, good. I mean, it, it was um, a lot of working. <laughs> so, so yeah, Marco, right, so because yeah. he didn't, the, the, this wine bar wasn't ready for him to, to open, um, he got a job at the press club. Aha, uh-huh. <laughs> hello. Um, hello, George Columbaris. Yeah. Hello, hello. Yeah, and yeah. he did get paid back. By sure. Yeah, good, good. You got <laughs> your super. Paid him back. You got your, you got your super. Good to hear. Good to Recently. hear. God, there's been so much yeah. shit go down in the last twelve months, hasn't there? When you think about it, like but, there's just been no, really tumbling everywhere. Hospo um, tourism and hospo has just been had the ass dragged out of it, literally. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, okay. So then, where do you go from Northcote? So from Northcote, um, well, Mariu was born there, so she was born in Melbourne, and um, so she's a little she Australian nine, Sagittarian. Now that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. When, when she was one, so Marco was working like insane hospitality shifts. Um, he'd been he then when Mariu was born, he was working at the Builders Arms. Oh, and, I love the Builders uh, Arms. Builders Arms. Oh yeah, my God! You mean the build? You changed, mean the builders' arms in Richmond? You're talking builders' arms in Richmond. Oh, builders' arms in Richmond? No, the one in um, Gertrude Street. Oh yeah, beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. Oh, that's a fantastic hotel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep going. Yeah, and then, um, and, and then at uh, Rosetta at the Crown, he was. Then he was there. And he was just working so much that I was, you know, I had a newborn baby. We were first time parents and, and Mariu never slept like the first maybe four years of her life. I don't think she ever slept a night. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, you know, Marco was coming home at three in the morning or so and she'd be wide awake until six in the morning. Oh. And then at nine, he was back off to work to do a double shift. Oh. And we were both, um, we were so, we were just living the dream. We can do it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> So when she was one, we moved to Canberra um, into my, my parents have got a granny flat in their backyard. And so we moved there. Um, to, to get help, to get help, Emiko, I need help. <laughs> yes, so we needed a different pace and we needed help and I needed, uh, you know, my village around me. And um, and it was, um, yeah, so we moved back to, well, we moved to Canberra for about a year or so. And then I started, um, I got an email from uh, the publishers to ask if I wanted to write the cookbook. And um, I knew immediately that, that this, and this was literally, we had just moved to Canberra from Melbourne. Is this, is this, is for a couple of weeks only. Does this happen because you've got your blog, your blog, what's your blog called? Yeah. It's just emicodavies.com. I never gave it a name. I just um, kept my own name for it. And did they it. find and, you? Um, the publishers found you through the blog? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, through the blog and through um, through maybe some other channels where I, I was publishing articles for Food 52, which oh, yeah. is a really yep. wide read. Um, yeah. I had a column there, a regional Italian food column. Wow. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so they emailed me through my blog and asked um, if I wanted to make a cookbook and... I obviously like yeah no sorry I'm busy no I'm busy sorry can't make the cookbook (laughs) hilarious and um yeah so so that was 
when we had just moved to Canberra and I, um, it was like uh, just a dream basically um, come true. Uh, I knew immediately I wanted to write my first book about Florence um, because that because that was in my heart. That was, and there were there were no other books about Florence that really spoke of the real, true cuisine of Florence. Yeah, wow. Actually, if you live there, um, so anyway, we ended up eventually moving back from Canberra to back to Florence. But um, Marco got a job in southern Tuscany at a really most amazing beautiful gorgeous place that we've ever lived and a place that we, we left our hearts and we still talk about all the time um it's a little port town called porto ercole oh wow um like closer to closer to rome than to florence really it's that far south but it's beautiful. still in tuscany yeah and um absolutely stunning place and he worked at a um a michelin star restaurant there called il pelicano mm-hmm. and so um, so we moved there and Mario was two and I was still finishing the edits to my last, to my first cookbook. What is the name um, of the first and cookbook? And when we moved there. What's the name of the first cookbook? The first cookbook, uh, it's called Florentine. Beautiful. Very, What else very could it, it couldn't be called story. anything else, could it really, when you think about it? <laughs> Florentine, <Yeah. laughs> I love it. Yes. Florentine. Yeah. And, um, um, but we, so we moved there and I was still in touch with my publishers doing all the edits. The, we were doing our second and third edits as we were there and, and I was working during Mario's nap times and, um, but within like a very short time of moving to Southern Tuscany and, you know, on this basically almost an island of a sort of peninsula, it's quite, it's round, it feels like you're on an island. Um, I wrote to my publisher and I said, this place is amazing and the food is so different. It's not like anything you would, you know, connect with Tuscan food. It's mostly seafood. And then there's these mountains which full of wild boar and wild mushrooms. And it's really, um, you know, just completely different to what people think of in their head as Tuscan food. Yeah, right. And I said, and it's stunning. Look at these photos. And I sent her photos and she said, okay, let's write a book. Wow. And it was like, it was just like that. Um, so we started and she said, um, we were only going to be there for six months. Um, because it's very seasonal, the work there. And because Mariu was about to start preschool, we thought we may not be able to do a six month only seasonal job um, on end. So six months. And she said, just start writing it while you're there. So we uh, started writing a second book while I was still working on the first book. Wow. And, and what, so what was the name of I that had, one? What's the name of the second book? The second one is called Aquacopta. Right, and that's... which is the name of a dish from that area. It's a it's a soup, a special soup that they make in the Maremma, which is this part of southern Tuscany, and it changes from town to town. So there's literally as many different versions of aquacotta as there are towns in that area. Wow, and it's and always a soup, but it has a different ingredient in each each town. Yeah, it literally changes um, changes completely from one place to another. But what makes it really similar is that it's always served with a piece of bread, a piece of toasted bread inside wow. the soup. Oh, and wow. often with a, like a poached egg on top. Oh yeah. I've had it. I've had it. I just didn't realize the name. There we go. Yeah. And, and so, and then you go into this, uh, fabulous other book called Tortellini at Midnight. Like what, did you come, is that your, you came up with that, surely, that's your name. That's the only book that I actually came up with the title for, the oh, other two titles, the publishers, the I sales actually, team, I think. Do you know what, I can actually tell, because that is so unique, and now that I'm getting to know you more, that is so your vibe, isn't it? Tortellini at Midnight. So, so tell us yeah. about that book, because, I mean, how's that though? Like, no disrespect to publishers, um, but as a writer myself, that just that name just sticks it just sticks with you what it makes you want to buy that book so out of the three books did was that the bestseller out of the three books sorry what was the, the last thing that you said it, out of the three books was that the bestseller tortellini at midnight no um strangely no i mean maybe not strangely um the the bestseller is florentine yeah right, by far, yeah, right. like out of the park by far, and um, and actually next year um, I'm working right now on a new edition of Florentine because it's, it'll be five years old next year, and so for its fifth birthday it's going to come out with a new cover and it's got an extra guide I've written up like a, a restaurant guide to Florence that's going to be at the back of the book and gee that's a lot of that like is a, a lot of work Emiko are you in the middle of that work right now. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is. That... I just sent in the, the acknowledgements yesterday. And, yeah. Wow. That's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a lot of work. And so. Yeah, but, and, sorry, you go. Florentine, Florence has proven. Oh, sorry. But I was just going to say Florence, the subject of Florence, I think, has been um, more universally loved. Maybe that's what it is. And Tortellini at Midnight. Um, the latest book is is maybe because it's more a, a book about the personal journey of of my in-laws and their family and it and it travels through different regions and places that maybe are, are less known like Taranto in Puglia definitely nobody goes there it's not even like a touristy sort of town of all the places you could go in Puglia you probably wouldn't wouldn't go to Taranto um, but it has really authentic really amazing food and then and it talks about Torino which is one yeah. of my favorite cities in Italy yeah. but um, again tourists just don't go there which is probably why it's one of my favorite cities it's really one of these places where you can sit in the most beautiful piazza in town you're talking to someone that always boring. goes off you're talking to traveling senorita here that always goes off yeah. the beaten track i was in matera before right. matera was like you know happening i know matera is like uh-huh. a happening place now but you so know. matera is quite close to taranto it's only yeah. about an hour yeah. to taranto yeah we called yeah. in i'm pretty sure we called in there um because we knew yeah we have some friends here that have family there um, there was also, when you were just talking then about um, Tortellini at Midnight. Oh, it sounds like a Woody Allen film, don't you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> we could so make well, a film out of this. a film about my book then. <laughs> there is a film in us. I don't know. So let's bring in um, what a wonderful journey you've had with the cookbooks and I can't wait to see Florentine in its new incarnation as well. So, so let's talk about um, a little bit of the... Oh, you know what's it called? Pandemic vibe going on at the moment. I don't even name it actually. Um, yeah. Like, so you've been something that I've really admired about. Um, I knew about your vibe before this happened because there is a life pre C and B C, but yeah. B C pre C A C. Um, so, 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 I've been watching you um, because we knew it was sort of coming our way. But I've been watching friends. Uh, you're a digital friend of mine. But now we're like friends, so that's cool. But we, um, I've been watching you, and I've got a really good friend down in, in Hosigol, where I used to um, live down in France, and just kind of and checking in. We were at, uh, we did a really beautiful trip in um, around uh, Veneto, and we spent our Christmas up in Val d'Isoldo with some friends that live in the Dolomites. So we were yeah. right in that spot, you know. And we left in first of yeah. January, so we were kind of hanging out all around there, and you know, got some dear friends up there. A friend that owns a restaurant. Um, in Feltre, which is just really suffering at the moment. So I've been watching all of you and kind of just keeping up with it, but you definitely have been a really positive inspiration with young young children by your side, living in a beautiful um, area, but I'm imagining it's quite a small space or is it a big house? No, we have a really tiny flat, um, really tiny, tiny Florentine apartment that is, is way smaller than it should be for four people. <laughs> But um, um, but we do have this shared communal um, sort of courtyard and, and an olive grove that isn't ours, but is our neighbor's and he never uses it. So he's um, very happy to, for us to share the space. And, um, and that has made all the difference because having an, having an outdoor space has just been, um, been like having you know, a, um, a whole nother living room, really. Because I imagine yeah. that there's a lot of it, like, I mean, I don't imagine, I've, I've lived and been in these areas, like, you know, um, like London, um, you know, apartment living, like, how are they going with those, just being inside in the small spaces? Have you heard yeah. much about that? Well, actually, I mean, one of the reasons why we moved out of the centre of Florence is that the centre of Florence is, is just hundreds of tiny, tiny, really tiny apartments and very dark, and often very moldy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, in seven years that we lived in the centre of Florence, we we lived in seven different apartments because we had to keep changing every time. They were just all one worse than the other. And um, uh, so when we moved out of the hills, we wanted to move, you know, because having a having a child, it gets a little bit more um, less. Let's say less practical living in the historical centre of Florence. Yes. Um, you know, there's no parking nearby. There's no you know, getting food shopping is more difficult. Um, 
so we decided to move, you know, a bit more residential and, and living up on the hill, it feels like you're halfway between the countryside yeah. and the town. Yeah. Um, because you've just got, you know, all this surrounded by green, surrounded by the trees and views and woods. So it's it's um, literally a breath of fresh air. So how um, have you coped? Um, you know, like being shut down and Marco goes out for the groceries, you hang out with the girls. Like, can you just talk uh-huh. me through a day in the life? Because it's morning time there at the moment. So I've got you guys. I love it when you yeah. said you're all sleeping in. Yeah. I just, I think it's perfect yeah. that you're getting up at 10.30am and I think it's totally allowed, well, by the way. Um, well, yeah, it's like we're jet lagged. I feel like we're jet lagged. We've got nowhere to be. What time is it? What day is it? I don't know. Marco's opening a bottle of wine at 11 a.m. Oh, you know, it's like, it's perfect. It's so perfect. Like when you're at the airport. That's you know, what we... you're in transit at an airport and you don't know what day or time it is. I saw. I saw this wonderful. This, I mean, let's face it. Memes have been keeping us all going, and thank God for digital social media, which is the bane of our existence. But in this particular existence we really need it and there was a meme that when, when the first week when we sort of were talking about what the hell's going to go happen to australia they're like oh don't worry it's like airport um drinking it's the same as airport time drinking you're allowed to drink whenever you do at the airport yeah. so when you have a 9am yeah, exactly. bubbles at the airport it's like totally acceptable exactly that's kind of what it feels like and um yeah so our, our day-to-day is is well the lockdown this is our fourth week means you can't leave your house essentially you can't go out at all except for essentials so um grocery shopping or going to the pharmacy or a doctor's appointment um the bank or the post office those those kind of things are are allowed and you have to have a a certificate um that you've filled out on you at all times if you leave your house uh you can go and exercise but you have to be very close to your house like literally just to jog around the block mm-hmm. or you can go for a walk but again you, you can't be like you know with more than one other person um so with kids that's that's really difficult basically i would technically only be allowed to take one of the two girls at a time and go out but be just very close to the house so it's been it's that's been really limiting so we've instead of being you know trying to go out and do things marco's the one doing the errands when we need um you know food shopping done or anything like that and and the girls that i've just been in the house or you know running around the olive grove which thank goodness we've got oh, that thank, space yes got oh thankfully yeah, because got, they've, yeah. they've locked all the parks there are no playgrounds or parks oh. so even if you do take your child out for a walk there's no there's nowhere to go there's nothing you know you're literally like on on the street mm. um you know doing a block and come back home um, since they've locked all the parks and playgrounds. And it's good in theory to be a foodie and, and, and have the girls cooking with you, but that's a lot of eating, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my goodness, we are eating so much. And then and then Muddy's favourite thing to cook is, you know, something sweet. Oh, so like, I oh love God, her. The house is full of cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you send some digitally through the laptop? She's been making some pearls. So let's talk about the girls cooking because obviously you're a foodie and and Marco's a som, and you guys have got food sorted, and they've watched you do that, obviously. But tell yeah. me about the girls and how their their relationship with cooking and how you introduce that. Well, um, Mario has always been because I was recipe testing like mad. Her, her literally her first three years of her life, I was I was cooking a lot and cooking for the cookbook. Um, one of the ways I, I did a lot of the recipe testing when she was a toddler, which is now like Luna's age and what I'm doing with Luna, because she always wanted to be with me. I let her sit with me in the kitchen and, and I let her crack eggs and I let her cook and I let her play with, with actual food. Yeah. Um, I did that a lot. And, and Maria is now an expert egg cracker, I have to say. And oh, I, I was watching reach, her and Luna. She can reach the eggs in the fridge. She'll go to the eggs in the fridge now and, and Luna come, nails. Out, come out with an egg and go, eggy, or she wants oh, to crack them. I've seen Luna nail the egg crack. I was like, whoa, yeah. she's really good at that. Like, she's two, right? And and, and Maru, Maru is like, um, like seriously watching, I don't know, like you cooking. Like, it's just, she's just totally adult about how she does it she's yeah really really refined i can i can understand why now she's been around it all her life but she obviously loves it whisking she's got the whisking down the whisking i just i let them play with food like as if it's you know other you know play-doh or or other things that they can play with they just play with food so how do you um for people out there because there's a lot of 
people that listen to my podcast that are families with little kids actually I do have a lot of friends that tune in and associates and um, I was letting them know today some of them are in our local community here we've got a really gorgeous community and we're all in lockdown and I was saying oh don't worry we'll get I'll have a look I've, I've actually given you I've told them to follow you a, a lot and watch your videos well they've got little kids your age a lot of them and I'm because I don't mine are 20 and 18 but I have a lot of younger friends that do and I was like oh Emiko will have some tips so I guess to wind up this podcast what are some tips that you could give some families that are, you know, firstly, they're in a little bit of shock because we're just going into the, the we're not even in the full lockdown yeah. yet. Um, and secondly, to get through it, like how, how do you how do you manage that and how do we bring food into that with kids? Um, well, one of the things that I think is keeping us sane is just only um, doing it this day by day. I, the, I, I just, I can't, we can't even plan, you know, for the future or think about what's happening next week because there, there is no, we currently have no, um, de- you know, deadline for this lockdown. Mm-hmm. And even in the beginning when it first started, it was impossible to, to plan even for the next day because things changed very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning when they had the lockdown, um, restaurants were still functioning just mm-hmm. in short hours, shorter hours. Mm-hmm. And so things were really different. And then in a few days' time, they closed all of the restaurants. And, and then a few days after that, they closed all the parks. You know, mm-hmm. so at, at the beginning, um, we learned very quickly that you could, you could, you could just take it one day at a time. Yes. We'll just take one day at a You're time. You're probably watching and, and that with Australia we, right we've now. We've done it ever since. And yeah. I think that that has been really helpful to not be, you know, yeah. worrying or thinking too much about when is this going to end or what are we going to be doing next yeah. week. Um, we just literally date, what are we doing today? <laughs> you must be, <laughs> you must be seeing and, that with your family that, in Australia as well. Are you, are you sort of seeing, like, to me, you look like the future, but are you, are you looking and sort of thinking, okay, they're doing that? That's one bit they've done. They'll do that bit. Does it feel like that looking at Australia in a way? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But I, it, it does feel a bit different as well. Because I think what happened in Italy was it, it almost took everyone by surprise yeah, and yeah. Um, and it escalated so quickly mm-hmm. that things really needed to to change um, very very quickly. Whereas in Australia, you've already seen yeah. what happened to us in Italy, so yeah. you can kind of. We had time to prepare. Um, you kind of, in a way, yeah. you could be a bit more prepared because you could see, you know, how it could go down. Yeah. <laughs> like what's happening in the US as well. And, did you think? Do you um, think that with yeah. um, Italy, like it must be breaking your heart, like it's breaking mine? And I, I'm not saying that you're over and it's doom and gloom, but it just must be breaking your Italian cultural heart because it certainly is touching mine. Because that 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 lo- that yeah. warmth, that love, that family, that touch, that. You know, everything about Italy is, and Spain is another one of my spiritual homes. I used to actually own a Spanish restaurant, believe it or not. Um, and oh. I, yeah, Pablo Pablo in Palm Beach. So it was really cool. But it was from my love of um, the Basque area. And I'm like, you know, I just love how they touch and they and they welcome you. And they, you know, it's all food and family. And, and do you think that, um, firstly, I find it cruel that it happened to those areas so extensively. And, second, and secondly, I'm like, do you think it's because of that, that culture that it, it you know it really had to kind of step back a bit yeah i think that it's been really um strange for italians to not not be no, able to yes. you know hug and kiss and, and and touch or even be um be in physical contact i find italians sort of really need that mm. physical contact mm. it's something just so ingrained <laughs> she's been so good by the way luna we're pushing all luna's buttons now we're nearly up to an hour yeah. emiko that's very naughty of me <laughs> um so yes i do agree with you but you know what honey it will come back do you have the full firm yeah. belief that this culture is ingrained for hundreds of years and it will come back yeah yeah i think that they i mean i've been amazed at how italians have been responding to yes. the whole the whole lockdown because I, I do think that they've been um incredibly um, patient and, yeah, wow. um, and tolerant and so like at least here in my neighborhood because I can't speak for even the whole of Florida I've only been in my neighborhood but um, it's been very very calm like calm and orderly and people very very respectful of um, you know respecting the distances and respecting waiting and it's incredible because normally you know you go you go to the you know, the deli or something and, and nobody's respecting any kind of line or order or who was in the best. <laughs> um, it's the complete opposite. People really, um, I'm really surprised at how amazing everybody's been responding. 
And here's where you and I here's where you and I don't mention the word toilet paper. So so <laughs> skipping over that because I just know we'd be on the same page. Getting back to um, what, getting back to the girls cooking. What's some really um, uh, taking it day by day, but what's some fab tips? Like, are you using leftovers? Are you just letting them, like you said, use you know, play with it like Play-Doh? What's what's some really cool tips for people? Yeah. Out there? No, so um, we haven't had any sort of food shortages here um, because the, the panic buying in Italy didn't really didn't last very long. It, it sort of it happened over a weekend, and everyone bought out all the pasta on the shelves, and and then they soon realised that everything was getting restocked as normal, and there was no need to panic. And it stops just, to, I love just that. as suddenly as it started. Love so that. I, I, you know, I'm hearing people saying, um, a, one of my dad's <laughs> cousins told me, amazing, amazing, all the cooking you've been doing, you're so lucky I haven't found flour for oh, a week. Wow. No, a month, a month. And this was in Sydney and mm, um, mm, or weeks, I can't remember what she said. Yeah. Uh, that we haven't had that problem here, so we're lucky that we can just go pop down to the shops and pick up whatever we 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 need. Yes, great. Um, but saying that, I know that I know that a lot of people who um, have either contacted me or been following me have told me that they can't get certain certain things. Um, but you're so, you're but very are, you're very resourceful, Emiko. So so this is where. Yeah. You could really um, give some tips here. We live in a regional area, which is beautiful, near Byron Bay in northern New South. So we've got lots of farmers. I literally live on the coast, but I look out to the farmers, the Kuchin Plateau. So very lucky. We've got those honour boxes on the side of the road still. Honey, you name it, it's all there. So very abundant. But sometimes people don't feel abundant and they're using the majors. And I'm going, guys, get away from the majors. Go out to the farm. So that's kind of my advice. Yeah. So how would you... um, how would That's you... one of the things that we've done as well. Is 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 um, the fresh produce is, is amazing. You know, there's all the farmers, all the winemakers. They're all still out there working. Wow. You know, and, and you don't have to only shop at the supermarket. You can, you know, shop at shop at your you know local farmers market. And they de- the they're delivering to you as well, aren't they? You've got your um your your uh, local vino supplier, and are they delivering to the door. Yeah. Yeah, they're delivering. We've got our favourite wine bar delivering, and we want <laughs> to support it. all of our. Um, you know our friends and, and our favorite restaurants and wine bars so we've been trying to um, support them as well by deliver you know ordering um, wine to be delivered at home or, and some some of the restaurants are doing vegetable boxes because they're not you know cooking anymore so we've been ordering things from them can you too. just um, just on that um, are they but, not able to are they not allowed to deliver takeaway anymore no, they can do takeaway. Some, I think, some have chosen not to do takeaway because uh, I don't know for whatever reason, um, doing vegetable boxes with Instant. their ingredients that they already oh, have. Oh, so might you can come home and cook. Yeah, right. Nice. Um, but just yesterday, I posted in stories actually a, a delivery that we got from our our local um, cafe that have done. They're doing pasta, fresh pasta and sauces. Yeah, right. And. Um, even though we're doing so much cooking at home, I just think when when we can, if you know, here and there, yeah. I want to support them because I want to make sure that they they come back yeah. when this is all finished. I think you'd yeah, actually really love where we live in the um, Tweed region because we're doing all of that with our restaurants at the moment and I'm getting wine yeah. delivered and I had sourdough crumpets delivered this morning with with um, lemon oh. myrtle curd or passion fruit, whichever one I chose, in this gorgeous recycled box and bread social are delivering tomorrow, some spiced hot cross buns and yeah, yeah it, you'd really love it this, this this is very good we're very blessed that we live in northern new south wales and that's why i've got yeah. i really wanted to catch up with you and um do a podcast because i know that my audience is definitely your audience and um they yeah, will love your books and and i just wanted to firstly say luna is a superstar and and <laughs> like because she's there i could feel her i can't see you anymore but i can feel her presence yes. and secondly yeah Hello, and and is she not like the cutest little like squeezy thing you've ever seen in your life? Like she's a little dumpling. I just want to squeeze her through the little screen. Um, so so who and where inspires you, Emiko Davies? Who and where? Well, um, the where is easy. That's. That's here where I live. I'm so <laughs> um, glad you said that. Inspires me. <laughs> Florence, yes. Tuscany, yes. Yeah, Florence and Tuscany in a sort of a broader sense as well um, inspires me all the time. 
um, in terms of what I'm what I'm cooking, what I'm eating, how I eat, how I've learned to eat. Um, Beautiful. It's been totally inspiring living here because um, Tuscan. Well, most I mean I say this for Italian food, but I'll just stick to Tuscan eat for now. Um, it's it's so eating here is is very seasonal, very mm-hmm. very seasonal. You follow the seasons. Beautiful. Um, you eat what's available. Um, you can still it's still very much about local food and local traditions mm-hmm. um, rather than you know eating sort of anything from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Even though saying that it's a lot easier to get things like avocados here now than there ever was. Like ten years ago you'd never get an avocado in Florence and now it's like every cafe has 